0: Spoiler alert, when this podcast talks about the books, it talks about it in the context of the entire A Song of Ice and Fire series. And when it does so about the television shows, it does so in the context of the most recent episode. You've been warned. Before the Dragon, a podcast dedicated to George R.R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire and the HBO Game of Thrones prequels franchise. And welcome to another week of reading Fire and Blood. We're in week four of our read. This time around on Before the Dragon Podcast, we're reading chapters 14 through 16. They're all titled at first The Dying of Dragons, but chapter 14 is subtitled A Son for a Sun, chapter 15 The Red Dragon and the Gold, and chapter 16 Rhaenyra Triumphant. So we're going to cover those chapters this week. And remember, folks, if you have any thoughts on any of these chapters that we are reading, feel free to send an email to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, or you can tweet to at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter, with any thoughts that you have, and we will share them. We do record a little bit in advance, but we promise we will catch up the feedback at one point or another. In the meantime, my name is Matt. Remember, Matt's audio blog, M-A-T-T-S, audio is your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, including finding the Symphony of Ice and Fire panel from Con of Thrones 2019 on its own little tab. It's not on the feed. You can only get it by going to the website. So feel free to do that if you wish, if you're interested in the music of Ramin Djawadi In the meantime, we are talking A Song of Ice and Fire. We don't do a point-by-point-in-the-order-that-it-comes discussion. We just kind of discuss what's important to us as it comes up for each of these chapters. And joining me once again is our tried-and-true Siren of Ice and Fire from the West. Kelly, welcome back.
1: Thank you, Matt, and I am glad to be talking about this stuff because I love these stories, but, oh, my goodness, dragon after dragon, they're dropping. (laughs) It's, like, super sad but super exciting and then super sad.
0: (laughs) I know. There's lots of great action in it, and then there's lots of, like, if you're a dragon lover, I can see how this could be very disturbing. I I think if you're an animal lover in general, this would seem very disturbing. So
1: (laughs) We just have to keep reminding ourselves that, like, all of these people are already dead by the time we get to the main series. So like, it's a history. You, we know that they are all dead, but it's still hard to go through it.
0: <laughs> that it is. Um, and some of the stories are horrific in the way that the men and the dragons die and and the things that human beings are capable of in the process of making that happen. Uh, before we get into our chapters this week... Um you were with me last week during our read of chapters 11 through 13. Did you have some additional notes you wanted to throw out there for us?
1: <laughs> so of course I had questions of my own last week and we went over them but I did my best to kind of theorize and I thought well I should probably just look these up for accuracy anyway. <laughs> and a couple of things I realized I got wrong is that Westeros is definitely not the size of England. I think that's just a common mis- mistake on on forums and stuff from way back. Like that was amateur hour right there, but it's been corrected that it's closer to the size of Europe. So um, even long ways, it's more closer to the size of South America. It's pretty big. I think we were talking about going west and how uh, big the world would have to be uh, or how big that ocean should be and how big the world would be in comparison. So uh, it's not as small as I said it was, but I still think it should be way bigger than the narrow sea.
0: Yes, the Sunset Sea should be way bigger than a narrow sea, I agree.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so don't get that stuck in your head like I did. I apologize if bringing it up twice in a row now will get that stuck in your head. But it's (laughs) remember, it's the size of Europe, the whole thing. And it's actually pretty approximate in width. So it's kind of cool if you Google some, some images of the overlay, it does kind of align pretty well with even the uh, climates. Like you've got Spain, which would be down in uh, Dorn, and you've got like Norway, which would be the north. So it kind of works.
0: <laughs> yes. And after seeing Starks, uh, hearing about Brandon the shipwright and such, now I do think of the Starks as more like Vikings than ever before.
1: Absolutely, for sure. Like we, we don't see that in the real like time, our time storyline, but like they've got them and it's it'll be interesting to read more. And speaking of the world of ice and fire, which is where I getting some of the confirmation of some of this stuff, I got another one which was about the wyverns, and those are mentioned a couple times in a couple places. So my curiosity about why they don't call them dragons is that they don't breathe fire, I guess is the only difference. Wyverns mm-hmm. are the same, just non-fire breathing. <laughs>
0: Hmm, interesting. Yeah,
1: I mean, and they're not really tameable like dragons, so they don't maybe have that magical component.
0: Yeah, well, fire, breathing fire is kind of magical. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fe- they've got a couple of features that make them magical. <laughs> And I think those were my, my biggest points. Um, we talked about Ashai a little bit, and I thought we I looked up, like, who do we actually know from Ashai? And we would kind of hit them all was that Mary Mazdur said she studied there. Melisandra, in her chapter, thinks to herself about having been there. So I think that's pretty clear that she did go there. There's no reason for her to think it and be lying, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and then, yeah, Euron is said to have gone there. And then we did – I don't know if we mentioned that Corliss, eventually, his storyline took him there. Oh,
0: um, in we, his furthest voyage. Yes, it did.
1: Yeah. And he was like the first Westerosi to reach there. But um, I thought – when I was like, you know, search of ice and firing it up, I found that um, a random little tidbit was that Mance Raider says that his red thread that he had sewn his black cloak back together was uh, from a cog – It's a it's red thread from a shy that they found in a cog washed up on the frozen shore, which is the west side of the north. So it was kind of neat that that's almost like a backwards confirmation that they uh, they do connect.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Interesting. Were you ready to get into these chapters? Oh, yeah, let's do it. All right. We'll start with the dying of dragons, a son for a son. Chapter 14, the dying of dragons, a son for a son.
1: We kind of dive right back into the the reds. I'm going to do this so often. So drink every time I say red instead of black, guys. <laughs> The blacks and the greens, right after their coronation. So the they've had their little enumerating all of the dragons and their coronation in the coronations. The first thing they decide is like, well, the these sons are going to go do this, and these sons are going to go do this, and then immediately dragon riding. That just it was just cool to see these kids. They're like fourteen, like flying dragons, and where they 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 take these voyages, right? So Jace takes his voyage and goes all the way around on this. Um, I don't know. Would you call it like a progression of alliances or something? Yeah. So yeah, he does this like three stops. He's like hop, skip, and a jump <laughs> to these, uh, these, the Vale, the and high and um, White Harbor and Winterfell. Did you want to talk about those?
0: Sure, because he's actually quite successful in all of those envoys. I mean, there are bargains that have to be struck, but he basically wins the uh, the Erie. Um, mm-hmm. He gets Manderley's involved at White Harbor, and then and, and Winterfell, uh, Cregan's a little bit more of a nut to crack, but it seems that uh, things go pretty well for him in the end of it. One thing that I did really find uh, interesting about this, there's, there's this quote in here, Mushroom also claims that Vermex left a clutch of dragon's eggs at Winterfell, which is equally absurd. Whilst it is true that determining the sex of a living dragon is nigh on an impossible task, no other source mentions Varimax producing so much as a single egg. It must be assumed that he was a male. Except in Barth's speculation that the dragons change sex at need, being as mutable as flame, is too ludicrous to consider. Now, given that Mushroom often tells us the truth, or we think that we're getting some. You know, what have what we come up with? Seven times out of ten,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's is it's what we we're,
0: we're speculating here. Yeah. Um, and then you have this septon who thinks it's equally noteworthy about the the change of the sex of dragons. Um, is this the thing? Because I know we talked about this in a prior podcast. Is this the whole thing that makes us consider? Yeah, dragons change their sex.
1: Well, I thought this was where I had read that it was a um, possibility, and the Septon who doesn't know what he's talking, or the I guess uh, Maester doesn't know what he's talking about, kind of dismisses him. I think we're like, no, 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 that's totally what's happening.
0: <laughs> we're supposed to believe. I was going to say, you know, it's it's kind of like if if Mushroom claims it, and we tend to think that Mushroom's correct, why should we believe this uh, Gildane? that he knows so much about dragons when he's probably never even seen one.
1: For sure. Yeah. I think this is a George way of slipping in, you know, two truths and a lie uh, with mushroom here. (laughs) I think when we get with mushroom, we kind of decided we get more like seven truths and three lies. Um, And that's George's way of giving us this info that he wants to keep more or less not well-known throughout Westeros, you know,
0: Mm. that or uh, just information so that he can, uh, sit back you know and basically troll all the people out there who do content providing (laughs) and and laugh at their silly comeuppances in in terms of this stuff um i just thought that that was a noteworthy quote in this especially since we'd talked about it before
1: yeah i'm totally glad you pulled that because i was thinking that that was something else i I wanted to pull from last week and i forgot yeah that that was exactly the quote i had been thinking of (laughs) (laughs) yep yep and there there was the, the other um Mushroom story in Winterfell, which was that there was this girl, Sarah Snow,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who's a bastard of Stark, whom the theory is that the uh, Targaryen prince fell in love with this girl. So it's kind of this weird mashup of Danny and John and Rhaegar and Liana, you know? <laughs> You've got bastard kids and Targaryen royalty and <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it's, you know, they, but they did get married like, like, uh, Rhaegar and Lyanna in secret, you know, <laughs> it's this whole history repeating itself with this, uh, fire and ice.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, Family. I agree. Yeah. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, definitely a, a parallel that I drew as well.
1: I don't know if she was real though. What do you, do you think?
0: Well, I mean, (laughs) you said two truths and a lie as far as mushroom goes. Uh, Oh
1: yeah. It's pretty close to.
0: (laughs) So which, which, which one of mushrooms are we going to throw out here?
1: Dang, that's true. It's too close (laughs) for there to be two truths right next to each other. This could perhaps be that one-off case of the truths all being next to each other. And now that we're doubting them, uh, George's plan has worked.
0: <laughs> George's plan has worked, and and again, he has license to just write whatever the heck he wants later on because he'll say, "Well, you know, it's mushroom."
1: Yeah, and we, you know, we may or may not ever get like uh, confirmation of this or any fallout from this. I didn't, I didn't see any of the threads that made this pertinent, but it was cute. <laughs>
0: it was cute, that.
1: and I thought, in comparison to seeing um, Luke in. Storm's End, where he's presented a bunch of girls and he's like, no, I can't. I'm already betrothed. It was kind of a, a harsh comparison to the possibility that his brother had broken his betrothal, <laughs> like his older brother, who's supposed to be betrothed to, uh, I guess, his betroth's sister.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. If this is true, then Jace was not as honorable as his you know, little brother.
0: <laughs> true enough. True enough.
1: Commanded himself really well, and that was impressive. Like, he kind of has some hearkenings of Rob, I think, in him in that way. Hmm. It's just this he's kind of young, like, I think he's around Rob's age, like maybe 15, 16, and he's just making all of these alliances. I feel like being a dragon rider makes you a little bit more mature.
0: (laughs) I feel like being a dragon rider makes it a little easier for success
1: you know what that might be more accurate (laughs) (laughs) that's probably more accurate yes
0: (laughs) but nonetheless success was had so there you go and uh we will see as we go through these chapters how those types of alliances uh with members of the north helped a great deal as far as Rhaenyra goes
1: yeah. Did you have any thoughts about the Vale or White Harbor? I felt like I could just pluck those characters and take them into our current day and just they'd be very similar.
0: <laughs> yeah. I uh, uh, I just basically just felt the same way. It's just kind of like it seems like no matter who goes to see a Manderly, there's always a party. Yep. Uh, and, <laughs> anyway. uh, when, whenever you go to the Eerie, there's a, a, a very reserved, but at the same time, overly outspoken girl
1: yeah this girl had a lot of differences from our uh our lady lisa but True. i think it's still interesting that the eerie is just constantly like turning girl over girl as leader and uh they're okay with it so kind of keep looking to them for that progressiveness that uh stephanie was talking about last week <laughs>
0: yep exactly uh let's turn to heron hall real quick
1: oh yeah 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 and,
0: and um <laughs> The thing that I found interesting about this is because of all of the the things going on, Heron Hall is taken by the blacks. One of the things that struck me, speaking of women, this Alice Rivers really struck me. There's, again, multiple descriptions, depending on who you're listening to, as to what she is. Um, Wood Witch uh, was, according to like, Septon Eustace, bathed in blood of virgins, according to Mushroom. Uh, Munkins says that uh, she only dabbled in potions but the only thing that i kept thinking of is uh the the rivers name the 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 bastard name which is rivers and um i kept thinking of another magical rivers which happens further down in the future uh brendan rivers now better known as the three-eyed crow
1: absolutely and it's just a, a shame that you know when people are bastards they do tend to get this like connotation upon them but in this case it kind of feels like she was working it uh <laughs> to her advantage this fear that she was instilling it was kind of a it seemed like she was playing up this identity that was bestowed upon her for her from her birth you know <laughs> she it worked for her she survived after everybody else in here and uh, had bad time
0: <laughs> yep that's very true um, and she seemed to uh, be able to get along with uh, both sides uh, pretty well. Here, here was something that kind of struck me kind of Melisandre-ish about her. All agree that she looked younger than her years, but whether this was simple happenstance or achieved through her practice of the dark arts, men continued to dispute. Given what we know about Melisandre now, and even what we've kind of gleaned from in the books, that she may be a lot older than she seems. I'm not saying that she's got some kind of stone or anything, but maybe there's some magic being applied there.
1: I would think that's what it's getting at. I don't know how people in that area would know. I guess maybe you've got like small folk that live in the in the Heron Hall and they say, you know, <laughs> she hasn't aged a day in the 20 years that I've known her. And I sure have grown up and have had kids and she looks the exact same. So. It's hard to hard to say how they would guess that. Maybe she just looked young for her age, but and that's the kind of thing that you start whispering about. But I think that's what we're supposed to read into it is that she's got some some magic. Either that or, you know, as a bastard, she's not me, I don't know what her she's getting up to all day long. Maybe she's just taking really good care of herself.
0: <laughs> maybe she is. Maybe she just, you know, she's she's doing her yoga. Everything's yep. good. <laughs>
1: She's got all these people thinking that she's evil, but she's just in her tower meditating.
0: <laughs> well, I, I zeroed in on a very small part of Heron Hall, but uh is there anything else about Heron Hall that you want to bring up here?
1: Not too much. It is just kind of neat that because we had all of these um strongs down in King's Landing and and then we talked last week about how the other strongs died, there really wasn't anybody here to <laughs> to oppose Damon. And I thought it was really smart last week when we talked about Damon wanting to Get a foothold in the Riverlands, and he said, "Let's. We need to take Hall That would be like the biggest symbol and the greatest win for the people to flock to us." And so he just flew Caraxes there and took it without any fighting. I guess it was just super cool. Yeah. And of course, just as he thought, like he encouraged all of the Bannermen to declare for Renera. Um, he's pretty smart. I like paying attention to his tactics and, and strategy.
0: I, I feel like. That, you know, there, there are so many things that are just super shady about Daemon, but there are things that we're finding in the reading of these that are equally as, as shady or maybe even more so about uh, Aemond, you know, so it's kind of like, okay, there are no good Targaryens in this matter, um, but uh, Damon works pretty smartly, um, at least from a military aspect.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and lucky for Renair, she's got both Damon, who's got, you know, a dragon and, um, military strategy from his, um, fighting in the, was it the Stepstones? Yes. I think he had the battling, he was fighting there for a couple of years. And then, uh, he's, she's also got Corliss Valerian, who's got the Admiral and then the Naval tactics. So she's, she's pretty well covered. You would think.
0: Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's got air superiority at the moment. Um, because nobody else seems to be using their dragons uh, and she's definitely has sea superiority
1: yeah she was using that air, air superiority for travel up until this point and then you get what we're probably going to talk about next which is shipbreaker bay where that changes <laughs> suddenly change. the, the dragons are not just for for travel they are now for fighting and she was using, yeah, she she was not the first to use the dragons for, uh, I like to, to see that she wasn't the first to use dragons for, uh, as like the, you know, nuclear option.
0: <laughs> right. And and really all, all Damon really had to do in this case, which was, again, very smart, bloodless kind of takeover. Uh, he just had to have a parade like the Russians used to. <laughs> a show of force. A show of force. Exactly.
1: And he did. Yeah. So he's he's hanging out at Harrenhal. Jace is flying around. Um, I don't know how long that would take him flying to the Vale, White Harbor and Winterfell. I feel like that would take a really long time, but it's presented as it was, you know, in a few weeks. I, it seemed, I'd just be super curious. Like that, uh, that spreadsheet that I go to all the time that has a... Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> Dragon <laughs> flight by. times?
1: I don't, they don't have a column for that.
0: <laughs> <Nine>.
1: <laughs> I need my conversion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and it also depends on, you know, how interested he was in this uh, bastard daughter that he married. And, <laughs> uh, you know, if we're to believe mushroom there, it also depends on how, how long his stays were at the Erie and all of that stuff. Because not everything is going to be mentioned or noted for, for how long. they Of were
1: course. There. Of course. Yeah. And they did spend a little bit of time talking about how well he got along with uh, and at, uh, at Winterfell, which I thought was kind of cute. Like <laughs> they had a little bromance.
0: <laughs> they did they did,
1: yeah, like he just got along with everybody that was so he probably had uh just enough time to to show his good side and then get out of there
0: <laughs> right on, very good, what else in this chapter do we have?
1: yeah, this was kind of a shorter one, um, so we just kind of have like t- the uh it was called a son for a son, so
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we
1: have to uh lose yeah. a son here, I think. <laughs>
0: Yes, um, we have to lose, yeah, two. Yep,
1: you know, and this is the first one. Is that uh, I thought it was kind of interesting in the in the the Black Council, you had Raineys kind of so confidently talking about how the Baratheons will no doubt side with us and don't worry about them. <laughs> you know, my my on my mother's side, I'm a Baratheon, and surely they will honor that. But when Luke gets there, he's all, or when Eamon gets there, this is a different Baratheon than the one. Rainey's new, and he's all like, I don't know who she is. And besides, Rhaenyra is not Rainey's. So he just kind of dismisses his loyalties and is now, <laughs> show me what you got.
0: Yeah, he does. And um, Eamon, to his uh, credit, I guess sort of strikes a deal with him, which is good enough. But he just can't keep his mouth shut when when Luke shows up.
1: He, he's his sour side comes out for sure. And I think we kind of brushed over it a little bit, but Luke is the one that slashed Eamon's face right. when they were younger. So it's Amon. so Eamon's got a bit of a bone to pick with Luke. <laughs> and now that he has Vagar, or that he's had Vagar, but now that um, I think that was back in 120 actually at Luke's dad's funeral, or yeah, something like that. was at like Lenore's funeral at that, that I happened? think it was, yeah, which makes Eamon seem like extra, like, Awful for fighting with these boys at their dad's funeral. <laughs> but, but then yeah, you've got uh at this now, I guess, uh 10 years later, he's uh wearing what was it, a sapphire in his eye, and <laughs> been yeah. flying v- Vagar for 10 years now. So he's got a little bit more boldness in him, and he I can't believe he goes after Luke and Eric's like are the the dragon RX is mm-hmm. so young, like these kids are like 13. <laughs> And even when he gets back to so yeah, he so Vagar and Eric's fight, if you want to call it that, basically, the Maester says. Like if it was a fight, it wasn't much of a fight. <laughs> and he he they takes him out and he dies. But when Eamon gets back to King's Landing, Allison and Otto are horrified. Like his his mom and, and grandfather are just like, that was foolish. Why are you stupid? Do you know what you've done?
0: <laughs> yeah. But his
1: brother's like, right on, man, let's throw a feast. So <laughs> you've got these two sides of generations who see the, the, the war in two different ways. And you've got this maybe generation that's never seen war or or experienced fighting very much before. And then you've got the elder generation who's like, this doesn't end happy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and just the sheer escalation at that point is... Uh... Immeasurable because up until that point, it had j- really just kind of been a war of words.
1: Yeah, you'd had uh, Beesbury, but that was about it. And, yeah. and even that is speculated that he might have been in the dungeons at that point. So, Right.
0: And it, as far as Westeros in general knows, they don't know what's happened to Beesbury. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So this made it like, this was the shot that started it all, you know? And it was between two kids. Like, yeah, Aemon's 19, but he's still young and... He had way too powerful of a dragon <laughs> to have not had guidance with that.
0: To Aemon's credit, just to be able to wield Vagar should be noted. Um, to me, if you can, if you can not get bucked off Vagar the first time you try and get on him, on her, him or her is Vagar him or her? Do we know?
1: We do know. Uh, Vagar is a female.
0: Vagar is a female. Okay. So uh, to be able to jump on her and uh, not get bucked off um, is kind of a testament to the kind of ferocity that Aegon has boiling within him, I suppose.
1: It definitely could be. But when we get to like the dragon seeds and we see that Vermithor and Silverwing are... More easily ridden because they've been ridden before. We have to keep in mind that Amon is Vagar's fourth rider at this point. That's and, true. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's something to maybe being said about the who's influencing whom at the when you get to these dragons and their riders.
0: <laughs> well, good point. Excellent point.
1: Yeah, I was just I don't know if there's much more to say about Shipbreaker Bay. It was really sad. Um, it was really dramatic, and we're getting more into these really scenic uh, narrative stories. And I really liked that about this section. So of course it was horrifying, but yeah, it wasn't uh and if, I used a lot of these, these scenes with these dragons to kind of put together a spreadsheet list about how, how big some of these dragons are and how old they are. And at this point, all of the dragons have been for anyone who cares, <laughs> the dragons were put into the cradle and they were eggs with all of these kids. So they're about the same age, if not younger than each of their riders. Um, that was from, uh, Basically, the, the Valyrian boys, um, maybe even the Targaryen boys on. I think um, Rhaena, Rain, back in the day, started that tradition.
0: Yes. Yeah, these these dragons are not very old. I, I mentioned this to you before we started our recording, but this, this death of, of Lucaris, and, of course, um, the destruction of, of, and death of um, A- Arax, if you believe some tales then uh, Lucarius's body was found, right? And Eamon cut out the eye or whatever anyway. Was that Mushroom's Tale that said that?
1: Yeah, the Mushroom said that Eamon cut out his eyes and presented them to the, the girl who had goaded him into starting the fight in the first place.
0: Right. Uh, but this is the first of of a few of the deaths in the Black Side where the dragon is destroyed, and by most accounts... A body is not found.
1: By most accounts, a body was not found. By m- whose accounts?
0: By most accounts, a a body of the writer is not found.
1: Mm, yes, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, <laughs> I was like thinking which one, which septin was most. <laughs> 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 so confusing sometimes. <laughs> see guys, sorry. <laughs> yes, this is the one where you have a uh, a version of the events where the body wasn't found. But this one, the the version of events is that he just uh, washed ashore and lived the rest of his days with no memory.
0: Yes, there's that one uh, as well. But uh, either way, the body wasn't accounted for. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, because he couldn't remember who he was, I believe is what they, they speculated was that I can't but I can't remember who said what
1: that was just it just says, it has even been claimed that the prince survived his fall. So it's just kind of a, a Fisher tale. (laughs) Nobody's is a, is a quoted as saying that.
0: And we'll, uh, we'll find another one that happens directly over a body of water. And uh, that uh, seems to parallel that um, towards the end of this read this week.
1: Yeah. And a couple next week, I think too. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) So keep an eye. That was a good catch that uh, Matt pointed out that I hadn't been paying attention to. Look at that. Still the master.
0: <laughs> ah, just fishing for straws. Uh anyway. Uh what else do we have on this chapter?
1: Well, a song for on. On. <laughs>
0: yeah, we gotta go to we gotta go to the revenge now, don't we? Yep,
1: you because know, now you've got vengeance must be called for, and nobody who – is uh related to luke is going to think that they did anything wrong to start this so they're going to say that well now we need vengeance not now we're even when does anybody ever say okay that's fair we're even now
0: (laughs) okay you got me
1: (laughs) because i'm sure after they get their vengeance they're expecting the uh the greens to say well that's fair we did kill luke this is logical (laughs) this is all the the logic that a grief brain can come up with i guess yeah. <laughs> so they come up with this plot because Damon had been so, we talked about this last week, Damon had uh, friends in- in Low places. Yes. City watch, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> City watch and, lo- and also in low places.
1: Exactly. Low places. And uh, the gold cloaks got their cloaks from Damon. So they still love him. And he was able to find a couple of lowest of the low places of gentlemen- Oh, you should explain this part, Matt. What was, what did you think of this blood and cheese characters? It's really gross and sad to talk about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is gross and sad to talk about. Actually, who they are uh, doesn't seem near as important to me as who the messenger was and who, you know, uh, Damon had reached out to uh, Lady Misery, as she is often known in the books. In this book, um, is it Misera, Misaria? My-
1: I think so. That's how I pronounced it.
0: Yeah, I'll prefer. I'll go with the easy one, Lady Misery. Yep. <laughs> um, that uh, she she helps to get this plan started and in action, and she was one of Damon's favorites when he used to go slumming around. Evidently, so they. Yeah,
1: he actually got her pregnant and gave her an egg.
0: Yes, uh, which had horrified uh, his brother and made him very angry.
1: Yeah, and he like that's when he's like, go back to your wife, and then misery lost the child, and Damon was not happy. He was very angry with Viserys after that. Um, but yeah, I did not expect her to show back up. I did like not either. At the end of the story, when they're torturing Blood just to get the info out of him, and he gets the whole story out that apparently this was a Damon thing. So yeah, just as we are uh, <laughs> talking about Damon's strategy, now he goes and does this horrible thing.
0: Yeah, uh, and uh, he had written. I guess I don't know if he'd sent a raven or a writer or, or sent a message to Renira that uh, you know revenge, a son for a son. That where this chapter comes from. Those were the words in his message to her. So,
1: yeah, which was actually kind of sweet because that uh, Luke wasn't actually Damon's son, but he it was a you know horrible for his wife, so he took care of it for her.
0: Yeah, um, yeah yeah uh, he so he did that but uh the 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 method by which a son was chosen was uh, absolutely horrific um to make a mother choose between her children and she's thinking okay well my eldest boy is the heir i don't want to i don't want to harm him and she has to choose melor and just out of spite and probably they were directed to do as much because I can't see either of these guys being smart enough to come up with this on their own but they uh they instead eliminate um the elder son who's ja-
1: it's it's jaharis yeah just like ja Harris the old king. just like yeah.
0: the named after the old king okay
1: yeah. Like a house twisted and evil. Like if you were to just, I mean, I guess maybe they thought this was the equal of, instead of just a normal assassination, like at actual torment is what they wanted because this is what they got is horrible.
0: It, it's, it's very uncomfortable to read because even not having POVs, I, I just, my mind races about, uh, you know, what Helena went through and we see how it affected her, um, and and how dysfunctional uh she seemingly becomes after that and how her husband never forgives her for making a choice.
1: Yeah, he has to, he doesn't seem very emotionally intelligent, Aegon, and he just he goes to drinking and raging. He doesn't seem to have any you know capacity to handle something like this happening to him or his family. So yeah, his lashing out at her is not um unexpected <laughs> yeah. but she did not need that like oh my gosh and I, I find it odd that like you don't have much of a reaction from queen Allison because she was there it was her room and yet she's kind of so- sojourns on i guess like she just kind of keeps doing what she has to do because of what she's been going through and what she's been through but um it seems to hit helena like the hardest um disproportionately hard than it you would expect it to have hit queen alicent who seems to just move on
0: true enough it, it's her grandboy that her grandson that gets killed but she doesn't seem to be very um oh well like you said she just keeps soldiering on
1: yeah i guess it's because she has to um we'll, we'll see uh, that uh, aegon doesn't uh, isn't around to make decisions much longer so it's kind of like she has to uh adapt uh
0: i do want to bring up this uh Mention of the Black, Blackwoods and the Brackens. Um, now they're on opposite sides. Um, the Brackens are for Aegon II, and uh, the Blackwoods are for Rhaenyra. The Blacks, so um, appropriately so. I just find it interesting that the one that lost the duel ends up being the one to come to Rhaenyra's cause.
1: Yeah. I had to go back and reread that. I was like, wait, which is which? And then I, yeah, the, the, the duel that apparently, um, when she was named Prince of, uh, princess of Dragonstone, I guess when she was getting offers from gentlemen callers, <laughs> that was yeah. one of the often uh, one from what back a couple chapters ago, chapter 15, the dying of dragons, the red dragon and the gold.
0: So there is more Brackens and Blackwoods in here. Um, they're definitely on again. This is the Battle of the Burning Mill, where we get uh, a lot of the stuff. But cho- sides have already been chosen. And um, the the Blackwoods are leading a group that is despoiling uh, all of the seps. Uh, uh, seps, They, they it, the quote in here is, the Blackwoods were the one of the last houses of the South, the Neck, who still followed the old gods. And if I remember right, does Bran not visit the Blackwood Werewood tree in dance?
1: I think it's one of his visions, this is a tree with um hundreds of crows in it. And then we we hear later a story about Werewood Tree with hundreds of crows in it, or earlier we heard that, and that's uh we're supposed to put two and two together.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Doing doing the math as our friend Bobo from the Joffrey of podcast likes to say. <laughs> so, uh, that was one. Uh also this uh, Black Alley um, is her nickname, um, but I, I found this interesting. Where would Arrow found the eye slit of his helm and drove deep into his skull. Supposedly, that shaft was loosed by Lord Samuel's 16-year-old sister, Alisane, who would later be known as Black Ally. But whether this is fact or mere family legend cannot be known. Now, if you're keeping the old gods, what the heck are you using the weirwood tree for for arrows? (laughs)
1: That seems a little sacrilege. (laughs) Uh,
0: So maybe, maybe, uh, maybe this is a story after all.
1: Or embellished, maybe based on truth, but uh, real, you know, embellished for story, you know, like when King Jaehaerys went north of the wall and fought giants. (laughs) Yes,
0: exactly. Yeah. Another, another true telling here. (laughs) Not Munkin's true telling, obviously.
1: Yeah, I think she comes up again later. I know I've heard that name before, so I feel like she's kind of thrown in here for flavor, but we do know this character, or at least we'll talk about her later. Don't remember. But I thought that was neat to get to see that there's this, you know, basically Lady Theon out here doing <laughs> doing good with the bow and arrow.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, this Battle of the Burning Mill, obviously one of the mills got, was being burned and they, they all fought by the light of the, the fire throughout the course of the night. As as a result, though, um, the Brackens end up losing Stonehenge and almost all of the river re, Riverlands in kind of surrender to Rhaenyra's side.
1: Yeah, there was only a few that were still for Aegon. And I think it was kind of funny that both of the ones that at least were mentioned in the... Um, Earlier in the chapter, I think I know what you talking, when you were talking about the Brackens and the Blackwoods. I had that earlier as well. It's uh it's like at the early at the beginning. Then they're talking about the um the Vances of Wayfarer's Rest, and then they oppose. You know, they've sided with Rhaenyra, but then uh, the, opposed by the Vances of Atranta, who declare for Aegon. Like <laughs> they just kind of com- you know compare all of these uh contending houses and how with one side you know, declares for one, no matter if they agreed or not, the other side is going to declare for the other <laughs> um, disputing uh, sides. But I feel like most of those sides that ch- uh, declared for Aegon only did so because they're um, in fighting houses that uh, declared for Renera. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, you're, oh, you're going to fight for them? Well, then I'm going to fight for these guys. Yeah,
1: Exactly. They just can't, cannot ever be on the same side. So they choose, they choose war and, and then lose. But you see this happen over and over again where there's fighting, which creates a vacuum. And then that situation is taken advantage of. And here's kind of where Damon on Caraxes did that, where while the Blackwoods and the Brackens were fighting, they took Stonehenge. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs)
0: Yep, that's the way that goes. Uh, You got nowhere to go home to, Bracken.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, Rhaenyra's doing great.
0: (laughs) So far, she's doing quite well. But also kind of as a result of this, uh, our, our raging, drinking Aegon, he loses all his confidence in Serato, uh, and that ends up to leading to, you know, when you, you combine this loss with um, the alliances purportedly made for the Erie, Winterfell, and White Harbor for Rhaenyra, you know, and otto had been playing this whole game of well we can we can break the valerian fleet we can break the sea snakes fleet uh we just need help from from the three daughters which are the three countries that uh i don't remember the three countries
1: oh i know it's the triarchy yeah i don't remember actually the third
0: (laughs) i don't either uh, folks help us out. Send an email to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com and say, Hey you idiots, just go back and read. It's right here on screaming this page. Yeah, <laughs> you're screaming at it right now. So put it in an email instead. You can you can voice text it to us and we'll be happy to read it. I'm happy to, you know, read criticisms just as easily as I am able to read praise or read thoughts that um, are agree or disagree with my own. But I yeah, mean, they
1: were, they were uh, big enemies of Damon. So even though Damon's out here doing all this good for Rhaenyra, just him being on her side is going to cause her some grief.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And th- the thing is, is that what we learn is the triarchy is basically 33 guys and none of them agree on anything. 11 from each of these three countries or these three regions. And so there's a great delay. And Otto uh, does, once again, it looks bad on him to Aegon the second. So it all ends up with Otto being replaced by Kristen Cole.
1: Yes. My steel fist. (laughs) Yes. It's so funny. He just is so dramatic. It sounds, I mean, this, we've heard this all before, right? It's Tywin writing letters and winning a war with letters and Cersei being impatient, Joffrey being impatient, you know,
0: (laughs) Mm, exactly.
1: They're, they know what they're about. Give them a minute. I did like, though, that he's been trying to get more alliances, uh, more allies, and he even reaches out to Dorne. But the response he gets from Dorne is, um, Dorne has danced with dragons before. I would sooner sleep with scorpions.
0: Did Mm. that ring any
1: bells, Matt?
0: Uh, There is a story of a certain Tyrell who was attacked.
1: Yeah, but um, yeah, Chris and Cole moving up in the world, right?
0: Uh, And do we think that that's a good thing?
1: I can't tell. I I really... I feel like... Depends on whose side you're on, I guess. If you're on Aegon's side, it seems to be more expedient. But even in these chapters this week, we we see how that works out for Kristen. But I feel like he's a good commander. I just feel like he makes a lot of decisions um, based on emotion, which is what his response to blood and cheese is going to be, you know? Do we... And isn't... Yeah, that's the first thing he does, isn't it? (laughs) Yes,
0: that is the first thing that he does. Um, He has... uh, Well... Now, they never really find cheese, do they? Other than just having all of the rat catchers hung and hope that they caught him?
1: <laughs> nope. Yeah. And then the uh, the price of uh, cats tripled, I think, is uh, yeah. what we, can, we, know, we know from our history happens when that happens. <laughs> yes,
0: of course. Get a ha- when you don't have any rat catchers, you got to find an alternative. And so <laughs> I've got a whole litter of cats here. What can I sell them for?
1: what do you got for me
0: (laughs) (laughs) the top dollar the 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 breeder economy is thriving at that point
1: yep so that's uh no yeah they never caught blood um as far as i know they did
0: catch blood at the gates city gates it's cheese that they didn't catch cheese was the rat catcher
1: that's right (laughs) blood was the the um, The butcher
0: appropriately named
1: exactly he was a bad guy. (laughs) I've kind of lost some respect for Damien that he knew him, but I guess he proved even the friends in low places have their uses. Yeah. If you're willing to stoop that low, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, the treatment of that. And like I said, blood and cheese had to be directed to do that. I I just can't imagine them being either of them being smart enough to do that on their own saying, well, if it's, Mm -hmm. if this is the one you're willing to part with, then that's the one you're going to be stuck with. (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly they didn't have that maniacal like they would do something evil i don't think they do something like horrific to a person mentally that mental warfare seems to be more of a higher up decision yeah i agree so comparing damon to kristen cole i wonder do you have much of an opinion on the two i feel like there's a lot to compare them to in these next few
0: chapters elaborate please
1: yeah, so they're kind of these commanders that make these decisions. And the blood and cheese was Damon's decision. We we see it, but then now Kristen Cole has this responding decision, which is the Cargyle twins. They kind of seem to be two sides of the same coin. You know, Kristen thinks he's much more righteous. I think than Damon. Uh, I get that sense from him at least. Mm. Uh, maybe that's just my interpretation of the readings where he rejected Rhaenyra. <laughs> mm. And kind of became pretty bitter towards her about just over that. And and that was all it took for him to stop being her, her, sworn shield so I've got this this coloration of, in my mind of Kristen Cole whereas I feel like Damon's just always Damon he's never really tried to be anything else and that even if it's not the most uh honorable form of man
0: he's at least true to true to himself much more so yeah. like uh oh, well see and I wonder if Kristen Cole if you think about it if those stories about Rhaenyra are true maybe he was trying to be true to himself and keep his honor and what have you it's still it comes across as an I'm better than you thing, whereas Damon's more like, look, you did this. Now you're going to pay in the way that I know how to make you pay.
1: Yeah. And as a, as a girl, like I can I can see these guys like Kristen who have this idea of what this girl is in their head. And as soon as that idea is shattered, they don't have any more affection for who the, the person really is, regardless of their you know, fantasy that they've built up around her, you know, and, and then they lose any interest and they actually go the other way and say like, well, that's, you know, you've been lying to me this whole time or something like that. Like they get so angry at this girl for not living up to the idea that they had in their own head as to who this girl was. And it's so unfair. Yes.
0: Speaking of Kristen Cole and you mentioned his, uh, his plan uh, to try and end this thing, possibly in this thing, uh, I suspect that Kristen Cole had told Eric, I'm not going to tell you which Eric, but told Eric to <laughs> to take out Rhaenyra and just be done with it.
1: Uh-huh. And that is actually a Munkin telling of the tale, uh-huh. whereas Mushroom said he was going to kill Jace and Josh. Ja. Right. So maybe this is one of those times that we throw in a, a Mushroom
0: We've believed mushroom way too much already this particular week, so it's time we we sh- you know <laughs> kind of turn turn one of mushrooms things down.
1: Yeah, sorry, mushroom. No, no can do. It sounds like it definitely sounds like this was a give me twenty good men and I'll end this for you. <laughs> to kind of see, <laughs> or what did uh, uh Robert say? Uh, one stupid boy thought he could end the war in a single swing of his hammer or something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So anyway, the plan for Kristen is uh, to have Eric go to Dragonstone <laughs> and pose as Eric to kill whoever they're going to kill. Uh, and what I find so surprising is, and maybe it's because the, the victors write the history, but there's such conflicting reports. There had to be people there, and, and but we get these different accounts. Like, they say that they fought each other after professing their love to each other and then died together. That's Munkin. Or it was a quick fight that professed no love uh, and Eric died quickly while Eric, and I'm not saying which one, uh, died four days later. So that was Mushroom who said uh, that. But he was there for that part. Or he, I mean, he was on Dragonstone. So is this just something? Is it because it is so. Tragic, the tale of two brothers that have to die and everything. It, Munkin says that it was basically just singers and storytellers to kind of make everything seem better, you know, seem more, more dramatic.
1: Yeah, it sounds like there was the uh, part one of the uh, the ballad song where they said goodbye to each other on the shores, and then the singer songwriter who who wrote about that was. You know, it it did so well that he needed to produce another hit.
0: (laughs) Oh, lightning in the bottle twice. Here we go, baby.
1: Yeah. So he had a he had a plate of and, you know, he did well the first time. You got to make the next one bigger and better. Yeah. It's kind of
0: like it's kind of like, you know, Ramin does Light of the Seven and then Dave and Dan come back for season eight. And they say, man, can you just do that exact same thing with the piano and build it up and do triplet endings and it'll be even better. Oh, so so back back to Eric and Eric, uh, whichever (laughs) Eric and Eric that we're talking about here. I don't know. I don't know how badly I feel about this. Both of them fought honorably for their causes. So it's, it's just kind of heroic on both of their sides for me.
1: I think it's a little bit of a microcosm of any kind of civil war. You know, you've got just family fighting families, neighbors fighting neighbors, brothers fighting brothers. And here you had, like, these two brothers who were, I mean, as close as you can get. They were identical twins. And unfortunately, they were on either side of a war. And it's just little, I don't know, whatever you would call that, like a <laughs> a tableau of the entire experience as most people, you know, had this, this war um, play out for them. In these two guys, you know, encapsulates that feeling.
0: Yeah, I guess so.
1: We don't have any backstory about these guys. So maybe the contemporaries who are reading this book in world know who they are and they needed a mention. But like, yeah, no, we don't. <laughs> we have no other story besides I, I pick. I just keep thinking of left and right. <laughs> yes.
0: And I, I so. think of Sarah and Sarah, while they're phrased girls. Yep. <laughs> and I'm not telling you which one of those is which either. <laughs> moving on to other things uh, that happen in this chapter why don't we uh take a look at rook's rest here we have a real dragon battle once again uh we have vegar and sunfire going against uh melee's uh that was uh that was reyna's dragon reyna finally gets into the action
1: yeah, this is um the uh, the queen who never was, uh the wife of uh Corliss Valerian. She's she's awesome.
0: <laughs> totally awesome.
1: So I don't know how wise she is. Like she was back at the Black Council and she was kind of the one listing off who all of the dragons that we have are basically going through the ammunition. Right. <laughs> and yeah, she is just all about this battle. I remember there's a scene with her back with her dad Right when she got mele, I think she had a uh, and she right when she married valeria uh sorry, right when she married um Corlys, and she didn't realize that she was pregnant, but she was flying out there with her husband and her and her she met her father there and wanted to go fight with them, <laughs> even though she was pregnant and uh but I think that's when uh, aegon died that uh the Mirish bloodbath, I think it was that fight, yeah, yeah, so that's a uh, she's just been wanting to fight. Since back in '92, AC has looked that up. Yeah, you know she's 55. She's a dragon rider. I think she kind of earned her her legendary status here.
0: <laughs> I would say taking on Vagar and Sunfire at the same time.
1: Yeah, coming to the aid of the the Duskendale Lords, uh, Darkland, They they were taken down, but then like it went to uh, Rook's Rest, and that's where uh, Lord Staunton asked for help and she's like, I'm coming. And she came out there to save the day. And it was a trap by Sir Kristen, which just like we were giving Damon credit, like this was a very clever trap by Kristen's, you know, it worked to a degree. Uh, Let's say
0: <laughs> it didn't work out so good for uh, his King. <laughs>
1: <Exactly>. <laughs> they, uh, they kind of traded dragons at this point. Um, and also rainies isn't uh wasn't the queen. She was the queen who never was. And she was flying the red queen. But she was not the queen, and they nearly lost their king here. So, kind of a strategical error.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Kristen Cole is now oh for two. I think. I mean, I don't know if you want. To, maybe you can call this one a tie. But...
0: At best. At best. You can <laughs>
1: yeah. Call it exactly.
0: He, he may. He's he's oh one and one. Let's say that.
1: Yeah. So Aegon gets cooked in his armor, man.
0: Yeah. It's uh. It's kind of horrific, and and to to for me. <laughs> And, and, and maybe this is telling, but I was much more concerned about Sunfire than I was about Aegon, to be perfectly honest, <laughs> because losing the wing and um, and then, well, we'll find out in a little while that, that, that we don't know what exactly happened to Sunfire.
1: Yeah. So you kind of are like, dang, we've lost uh, Eric's, and now we lost Maileys. You know, you just kind of expect that Sunfire is not going to make it. And it's just this like tragedy of tragedy. But then this little mysterious thing, you know, we don't really know what happens to sunfire. So we'll uh keep reading for that. But yeah, um I don't know if you want to jump all the way to that no. yet.
0: <laughs> okay. So here here's where I have another note because to me, here's the here's the quote regarding Rainys. A body believed to be Rainys Targaryen was later found beside the carcass of her dragon. But it was so blackened that no one could be sure it was her. So is this the second member of the blacks army that we're just not sure if they if they were counted as dead or not? I
1: would count it, yeah.
0: So again, this one seems more likely that it was Rainey's, but there's still something yeah. kind of left up to chance.
1: This one, um, Rainey's and, and Maleys showed up and started burning all of the uh the troops on the ground. Like she was just um, she showed up early and i think Kristen wanted her to like be uh, fully engaged before he you know i guess unleashed his dragons or something mm-hmm. but then yeah so she's there are burned bodies about so there's no guarantee that that exact one was rainy's
0: exactly on the other hand uh, you wouldn't think that she could have survived the fall so you would have thought that her body would have been found although aegon survived the fall not well but he did survive it
1: Yeah. And I'm trying to think about the actual battle itself. And I know Melee's took um, Sunfire's jaw in her mouth. And then did Vagar even unleash fire on them? Because then why would her armor be burned?
0: Oh, I didn't see anything about armor being burned.
1: Her body body was burned.
0: burned. And I just thought that was just, you know, dragons hitting the ground really hard. Fire's got to go somewhere. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I think there is something about their their blood being super hot. So I suppose if, you know, Maileys was bleeding on her, it would show. But I don't know. That is a curious one, Matt. I think that one might be uh, definitely a a mystery because I don't know. My only um, against this one is that Rainies wouldn't stop fighting. You know, Rainies wanted this fight. Right. I guess maybe if her dragon died, the fight would go out of her. Hmm. But then she would be abandoning her husband.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Hmm. And, of course, we see uh, in the aftermath of all of this, uh, Corlys Valerian is uh, quite upset with Rhaenyra. Um, We'll see as that goes. Mm -hmm. Um, And Maelys' head is brought back to King's Landing. Uh, Here's the quote. But it was the head of the dragon, Maelys, drawn through the city on a cart that awed the crowds of small folk into silence. Septon Eustace tells us that thousands left King's Landing afterward until the dull wager Queen Alicent ordered the city gates closed and barred. So, yeah, it's like, wow, okay, this is real. Dragons dragons Mm -hmm. are going to be coming back for revenge on this. Let's get the heck out of here
1: yeah like like what you know in these people's minds like the last time there were dragons fighting it was i guess balerion and quicksilver so they're not this is not a a common thing so yeah this is now just becoming a a thing now where dragons are killing if a dragon can do this to another dragon like what are they going to do to us is becoming a reality exactly and I did look it up. They do have some fireballs in the air, so bright that men swore later that the sky was full of suns. So maybe she did get burned when she was up there.
0: Possibly so. Possibly so.
1: All right. But still, yeah, the <laughs> the idea of like the vision of this rolling through town <laughs> would definitely horrify people and it became real. Hearing word of somebody's son dying or hearing word of these other treacheries and, and tragedies far away isn't the same as seeing it. And we kind of st- start to see the the fear sowing, uh at the end of our, our reads today.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely.
1: Kind of starts here. Aegon uh, burned and, and taken away and into hiding, basically. And now um, Amond is named protector of the realm, and he's kind of a jerk about it. <laughs> he's like, "It'll look better on me anyway."
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, true to form, Amond uh, is is. Uh... If You put a sapphire in your, in your eye, then, you know, where your eye used to be, you think pretty highly of yourself. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You do think <laughs> that all of your flaws are, are your features.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. No, no. We just go to where we see, all right, now we've had this big loss. We've lost one of our dragons. So the blacks realize we need more dragon riders Let's do this. But do you want to talk about how they how they came to that conclusion?
0: <laughs> Go ahead.
1: It was mushroom. So you've got um Rainier gets all super super sad obviously and she's just having a hard time dealing with the death of her son and this attempt on her life. So Jace kind of and of course Coralis is now super mad and and yelling at Rainier and really sad over Rainy. So all of these adults aren't really handling stuff. So Jace starts to make these decisions, Jace. He's has Joffrey and Taraxes go to Town, which is what he promised the Vale that he would do that and with him goes one of Damon's twins with Lena um, Valerian his uh, second wife Mm -hmm. and he uh, they go and she brings an egg with her pay attention to that egg I know it's not in these chapters but pay attention to that egg
0: (laughs) pay attention to that egg folks
1: (laughs) So the other twin, Bela, already has a dragon. This one's named Moondancer. Um, She hasn't ridden this one yet. It's so young um, or so small, maybe, because I think she's older than uh, Luke was. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting that uh, I guess she would even be older than Jace, that her dragon is still smaller than the other two boys. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I guess uh, Reyna's egg hasn't even hatched yet either. So maybe girls hatch eggs slower or something. (laughs) (laughs) Aegon, the younger And his dragon storm cloud, and then his uh, the youngest boy, Viserys, and his egg. They are like, you know what? Damon's got friends in Pentos, you're gonna go to Pentos. So, just Jace making all of these calls, I was like, this is this is baby King Rob. I like this, Rob Stark.
0: (laughs) Right on, yeah, I can see that for sure.
1: Oh, and then he gets this idea where, like, okay, well, Aegon and Sunfire are down, there's this other guy, Darren. And his got this blue queen to Saron and they're in old town with the high towers and Helena is super, super sad. And so Dreamfire doesn't really have a rider. We've only got Vagar to deal with in King's Landing and we've got all of our dragons. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> and then Mushroom's like, you know, you know what's more than four?
0: <laughs>
1: Six and stuff like so. Mushroom's the one who tells him like, get more. I encourage you. <laughs>
0: And that's when we end up with all of these, uh, uh, what we call the sowing of the seeds bit. And that's where um, many of these people who may have some Targaryen or Valyrian descent in them or may not, they are brought forth, you know, that, is some kind of reward offered for anybody who can ride a dragon or something like that. Was there? I don't know.
1: Oh, yeah, I thought it was just you get to ride a dragon. <laughs> yeah,
0: okay, well that's a reward enough in itself, I suppose. But we we get Adam and Alan of Hall, who it's alluded to, especially when you look at later as Lord Corlys gets Adam changed to Adam Valerian, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Sea Snake. Uh, so it's it's alluded to that they may be his bastard sons, which is the tale that I probably go for except for the fact that he was so upset about Rainey's death
1: what do you mean
0: well i mean why would he be needing to go spread his his wings somewhere else if, if he was so in love with uh, rainies
1: me she's got a dragon dude she's flying around she's doing her own thing
0: <laughs> but he's got the sea he's got boats he's got all this other stuff
1: Oh, but somebody's got to stay at home. So they had those kids, you know, they had Lena um, and Lenore, I think. So they've got, you know, I don't know where is Alan and Adam. They're they're younger than uh, they're like 15 and 14 or something like that.
0: Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's it's kind of like, oh, did he have the seven year itch or what? <laughs>
1: Uh it seems like we'll see with uh Renira later too. That there's just a little bit more of a as long as you keep it out of the house and it doesn't affect us, um do what you want, buddy. <laughs> kind of attitude. That's
0: true. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough.
1: No, I totally think that that, that Adam and uh Alan are the uh sea snakes kids.
0: Okay. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Uh you have Nettles uh who uh, manages to win over sheep stealer. Which was one of the wild dragons. Uh, uh, here's her description. She was black haired, brown eyed, brown skinned, skinny, foul mouthed, fearless, and the first and last writer of the dragon Sheep Stealer. And, and God, I hate to do this, but George is sometimes so particular about his descriptions to be brown skinned and black haired and brown eyed and to cuss. I just can't help but think of Salador, Salador San.
1: I like it. That's an awesome example. A little girl version of Salad Rassan. Yeah. (laughs) How amazing would that be?
0: (laughs) Uh, And we will see that uh, she plays an important role in Damon's life eventually, too.
1: Yeah, she's interesting. She does one of two things or both. She doesn't have any Valyrian traits except her ability to ride a dragon. And that one's only kind of this myth, perhaps. Or so she either disproves that you have to be Valer- from Valyria or Targaryen basically to ride a dragon because she doesn't match the genetic description of people who have that those traits. But neither do the um, Valyrian boys of Rhaenyra. They're all dark haired um, and dark complexioned um, eye wise, eyes and uh, hair wise.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they can ride dragons. But of course they've got a Targaryen mom. So it's just curious to me that you've got this other girl here who's Possibly disproving the dragon riding myth uh, necessity of necessity of dragon blood, or the uh, proving the non bastardy of uh, <laughs> Renara's kids. Mm, mm-hmm. She, she kind of comes in and, and has a little bit of a just by existing and being able to ride dragons. This this creates a little bit of complexity with some things that seem to be obvious, I think, or given. You know,
0: All right. And as far as the other dragons go, do you do you have a spreadsheet on who all ended up with dragons here?
1: Oh, you know. We had uh, <laughs> Hugh. There was a guy named Hugh. He was blonde, just like most of the other ones. And then you had Ulf the White, who uh, those two got, they're kind of always together because they both got Vermithor. Hugh got Vermithor and Ulf got Silverwing. And, and those were King Jaehaerys and Queen Alisane's dragons who are always together.
0: Right. Yeah. So they don't Super have much cute. they don't have much of a choice where they're going. I think in those dragons are making those decisions for them.
1: <laughs> Possibly. If not, you know, they if anything, they're just definitely gonna make that decision to go together.
0: <laughs> exactly. And that's gonna do it for this particular episode. We'll be back on Thursday to finish up the rest of this chapter, The Dying of Dragons, The Red Dragon and the Gold, as well as to talk about the next chapter, the Dying of Dragons. Rhaenyra Triumphant. I will once again be joined by Kelly for that conversation on Thursday. You can find Kelly on Twitter at Kelly Underfoot on the Twitter. That's K-E-L-L-Y Underfoot on Twitter. You can also find me at the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod on Twitter. Just in case you haven't followed me yet, would very much appreciate the follow and any feedback that you have regarding these chapters. You can also submit emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com that's m-a-t-t-s audioblog at gmail.com or you can simply go to the website mattsaudioblog.com same spelling m-a-t-t-s audioblog.com there's a contact form there that you can use if you don't want to type in email addresses in the meantime we'll be back on thursday to talk more about fire and blood thanks for listening
1: Send tweets to the letter B, the number 4, the dragon pod, and send emails to matsaudioblog at gmail.com.